0: Amen. Thank you, Joseph. Thank you, Kylie. Um, you guys can have a seat. I'm um, still letting some people find some seats. Good? Oh, thanks for being on time there, Mr. Diani. It's um, <laughs> a little public shame. Always does a little good. Motivate, you know. Um, hi, welcome. We are in our uh, fourth week in uh, study of the book of Philippians. Paul wrote this letter Uh, from jail, from prison, uh, to what many scholars and many historians think was Paul's favorite church. You're not supposed to have favorites, but the way he talks to this church is very evident how how much he adored them and loved them and um, longed to be with them. And uh, he's taking this church on the journey to deeper and deeper joy. He wants to lead them into deeper and deeper experiences of more and more joy. Joy. The problem is, is that if you read the book of Philippians, you would get the sense that he wants them to have more joy, but it seems to maybe come not the way you would think. It seems to maybe happen not the way that you would think. It seems upside down, which is exactly what it is in Paul's mind, is that if you want more joy, we tend to think that comes by conquering more, achieving more, completing more, gaining more, winning at more things. But for Paul and the Christian, he says, "Hey, if you actually want a deeper experience of joy, if you want to have a deeper reality of joy, it doesn't come by climbing a ladder. It doesn't come by winning and gaining. It actually comes by dying and losing. And so for the Christian, and Paul is saying this, this is the, 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 the series title of our sermon series is "Winning by Losing." <laughs> The path to joy in Philippians. And so our theme verse comes from chapter 3. We'll study this in a few weeks, this section. But he says, Whatever were gains to me, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing joy, surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things, winning by losing. And so what Paul does every week in every section is he's teaching the church how to loosen our death grip on things that we have committed ourselves to and obsess over and and make sure we have to hold on to in order to have more joy and more satisfaction. He says, actually, joy comes when you let go of those things and you gain more of the joy of Jesus, which is all that you've needed anyway. So winning by losing. So what is Paul leading us to lose this morning? Uh, What is this section that he wants to lead us in losing that we might gain more joy in Christ? So Philippians chapter two, starting in verse one. um, It'll be on the screens for you. You can turn your Bibles. uh, Philippians chapter two. says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's the word of the Lord. So, uh, chapter 1. Paul has given, um, he does this in just about every letter, he has given uh, an update on himself. Hey, let me tell you about how I'm doing. I'm in jail. Let me give you a little update on your concerns about me, how I'm doing, how I'm faring, how I'm thinking about the prospect of dying in jail and being executed, which he would be executed. Um, So he's given an update on self in chapter 1. Now he shifts and he says, and he looks at them, now I need to talk to you, church, about you. Church at Philippi, we need to talk about some things that I know is going on in your church. Church at Midtown, let me talk to you about how to interact with each other. That's what Paul's doing starting in chapter 2. And so in these four short verses, he's orienting them and reorienting them to just what it means, exactly what Paul's vision is for them on what it means to be a beautiful community, a beautiful church, a beautiful people, and not just for the sake of the church. like, hey, let me help you guys get along so you guys can be okay. He's saying, I actually wanna, I want to paint a picture for you. I want to show you what the call is for you as a church to be a beautiful community for the sake of the watching world. Like there's people that are watching and they're, they're studying how y'all are interacting and I'm, I'm trying to get you for the sake of each other and for the sake of those watching, let me tell you what it means to be a beautiful people. And so three things that he wants to lead them through and us through, three steps here for Paul. You know, I typically only use a three-point outline when I'm trying to control my time, uh, but I don't need to hear from you after this. Okay, I don't, I don't care if I went too long for you. Okay, it's for me. Okay, I'm going to keep this shorter-ish, okay? I'm working on it. Um, so three things, all starting with P's, because I worked really hard on this. So the first thing, Paul paints a picture. The so first thing he does, he's going to paint the ideal picture of the beautiful community. And then he's going to tell, tell them about the problem, the resistance to that beautiful community. And then he's going to lead us to the panacea, which is a fancy P word for remedy <laughs> or healing. So, paint a picture, tell us the problem, and then lead us to the panacea. So, first, the picture. The goal of this entire passage, he says it, we'll see it, is he's painting this picture. The goal is the beautiful community, and he's leading them to a picture of unity, togetherness, harmony, oneness. Look at what he says starting in verse 2. He says, will you throw this back up, Courtney? Verse 2, he says this. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Reminded me of U2's song One, came out many years ago. One love, one blood, one life. You got to do what you should, one life. With each other, sisters and brothers, one life, we're not the same, but we get to carry each other, carry each other. So what Paul's saying here, he's saying we're learning how to carry each other, we're learning how to be united to each other, we're learning how to be not divided with each other, we're learning how to love each other, we're learning how to see other people and consider their interests above our owns, we're, lear- we're learning how to not fight and wage war and have there be tension and have the, the, the arena of Twitter be such a, a combative place and have this be a thing where we're just picking apart each other's problems. We're talking about a community that is beautiful because it's for each other and people are laying down themselves for the sake of the whole thing. There's unity and there's beauty and there's community. Can you imagine this in your mind? I know it sounds like too good to be true. It sounds like, well, no, there's no way that would ever be possible. Can you imagine a marriage like this? Can you imagine a, a, a church community like this? Can you imagine a city like this? Where, where the discord and the fighting and the pointing fingers and, the, and that there was actually true unity and true harmony of people coming together. Sounds a lot like Utopia, I know. Sounds a lot like WandaVision, first couple episodes. If you've seen it, sounds a lot like, whoa, like this is, Could this actually be possible? It's gotta be fake. There's no way that there could act. Paul's gotta know that this would never actually happen, right? That people would actually lay down their selves for the sake of carrying the burdens of each other for the sake of unity and community. He gets deeper at the point um, in in verse three where he he says this phrase, count others more significant than yourselves. i want to break down that phrase real quick. It's two Greek words, two main Greek words. Count others. Consider others literally means look out for, notice, take consideration of, keep one's eye on, fix one's attention on. One, one scholar said, a, a, a helpful translation is, regard other people as your aim. Like in your scope, the thing that you are thinking about is other people. The thing that it fills your mind's imagination and fills your mind's eye when you don't have anything else to think about is, what do other people need? I'm regarding other people as my aim. I'm considering what what would be good for them. I'm thinking about how could I help them out? What do they need from me? Regard them as your aim. And then he says, consider them, focus on them, scope them, defer to them as more significant than yourselves. That, that phrase uh, was used in the ancient world to literally talk about people deferring like a servant to a king or a servant to the gods. Paul is literally saying consider other people, treat other people like royalty. Like view yourself as a servant and you're, in the, you're, you're surrounded by royal deity. How would you act considering them? How would you defer yourself and not make your interest the main interest, but you would say, I'm here to serve you. You're the glorious one. You're the royal one. You're the one that's like the gods. Like, I, I, wanna, I wanna take myself and lay myself down to consider you this way, and I'm making you my aim in that way. I'm, I'm, I'm making you the one I've kept my eye on and I'm thinking about you. Just as a side note, we will need that in our reopening. <laughs> because everybody's got opinions and everybody's got thoughts and why isn't Kid Town open yet? And I can't believe they're thinking about opening up Kid Town and why do we still have masks on and I hope we never take masks off and why is it not happening faster and why is it happening so fast and all of that. like this is, If we're going to reopen and, and not murder each other, this is going to be needed. We're actually going to be considering others. What do other people need? What do other people need from me and how can I defer in my heart? How can we keep each other and treat each other like royalty? How beautiful does, does like the ideal picture sound to you? How beautiful does the ideal picture look to you? Like The story of or the idea of a, a group of people, a community of people, a neighborhood of people, a city of people thinking that way about each other, always deferring their needs for the needs of others, always saying you're the royal one and I want to treat you like royalty and serve you, and everybody doing that. Where every party is considering and, and and considering other people more significant than their own sake, than their own selves. Every CBS Sunday morning story, every, every story that makes you tear up or sing out for joy, everything that tugs on the heartstrings is this. It's a story of this. Every epic tale, every epic narrative that draws our hearts into it is rooted in this idea, Sam and Frodo. Like we, they, we, we, we are drawn into Lord of the Rings if, if, if we understand that, hey, th- that's the story of someone giving up their own interest for the interest of others for the good of the world. And we see someone laying their lives down that's others-focused, selfless. I'm going to do whatever I can to carry your burden. What do you need from me? Do you need money? Do you need time? Do you need food? Do you need friendship? Do you need companionship? What do you need from me? That I exist, you and my scope are more important than I am. That's the beautiful community that Paul is painting a picture of. My wife's uh, precious grandfather, Bob Swinson, Papa, uh, passed away recently. He was a he was a pillar of a man. I mean, just the most precious man you could ever imagine. He he was he was a saint. It's because he had a life that looked like this. No one was confused when they were with him that he was more interested in you than he was in himself. And you could have felt that from him and maybe a few of the family members felt that. Everybody felt like, he, like they were the apple of his eye and then when, when the story started circulating after his death and people calling in and leaving Facebook messages and sending emails into the family, like hundreds and hundreds of people felt this way about him that all that that man did was he considered me more significant than himself. Endless beauty of a life, and we're doing the funeral in Chicago in a few weeks, and I will not make it through it. Like, I, I, will, I will be a puddle. Because it's, it's the life of someone who was marked by this and fought for this, for the sake of unity, the beautiful community that I'm, it's actually better for the whole if I consider other people's lives more important than my own. He lived it, he fought for it, he gave himself to it. And Paul's saying, this is the ideal. Everybody be like Bob Swinson. Everybody be like Papa. Everybody, if everybody thought like that, can you imagine the beauty of that? Listen to the words again. Being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. It's beautiful. I'm seeing everyone nodding. Like, yes, that sounds great. That sounds like a relief. We're exhausted from the fighting. We're exhausted from the wars. We're exhausted from the pointing the fingers. We're exhausted from the the tyranny of we can't just get along and the polar opposites and the noise and the media and the social media. And it's just, yes, please, could we do this? And so if that's how we all nod and go, the picture sounds beautiful, let's do it. Why aren't we doing it? Why does Paul have to say it? Why does Paul have to say, hey, this is how to be the beautiful community. This is what you need. This is how it actually, this is how the church is supposed to function. The reason why he has to say it is because it's not natural. It doesn't happen on our own. So what's the problem? Why can't we all just be inspired by that and go do it? Why can't we just be this way for each other? Well, the answer may not be what you think because we can tend to think that the path to unity, the path to beauty and a beautiful humanity comes through um, settling our differences. We just need to hear each other out. We just need to talk about it more. We just need to have more education. We need, we need, to, we need to talk things through. And I'm not saying those things are wrong. I'm just saying that's not the biblical reason why we can't get to the beautiful community. It's not the, that's, not the resi- that's not the wall that's up for, for the understanding of this issue. We are not this way. We want to become this way. What's stopping it? It's not that we just need to spend more time together. It's not that we need more education. Those things are great, but Paul knows that the problem goes way deeper than that. So Paul paints this picture of the beautiful community, beautiful humanity, and then buried in verse three, he tells us the problem. Listen to what he says. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility count others more significant than yourselves did you hear the do nothing part he has to tell them not to do something because that's what's stopping the beautiful thing from happening do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit What is the main resistance to unity? What is the main resistance to a beautiful community? Why can't we get along? Why is there injustice, discord, fighting, hatred, racism, evil, poverty, inequality? Why is your marriage struggling? Why is the church sometimes a painful place to be? Why don't we carry each other's burdens? Pride. Or stated here, Selfish ambition and conceit. That word conceit um, is, is, is an incomplete translation, and I'm no Bible translator, but it's incomplete because if you read 10 different English translations of that word, you will get 10 different English words, which whenever you maybe notice that, in I know that you spend a lot of time reading 10 different translations, but if you ever were to notice that, it's because the one Greek word is so dense that English translators can't quite get all of it with one English word. And this word is so dense, it's so power-packed that you could get a lot of different meanings from it because it it means all those different things. The word is literally kenodoxia. It's two words, keno and doxia in Greek, two words put together. Keno meaning empty, doxia or doxis meaning glory, empty glory, pride, vainglory is how the King James Version translated it. It's hollow, it's pride without proper basis. It's the wrong kind of proud. It's, it's the empty pride, it's the arrogant, self-focused nature of us. And people that, that, that have kinadoxia, which is all of us, have a fragile ego. That's what kinodoxia is getting at. This is the word that takes us deep into the essence of the resistance to beautiful community is kenodoxia. The resistance, the opposition to unity and beauty is selfish ambition and kenodoxia. And Paul here says, let's pause for a moment, he says, do nothing from that place, which teaches us something about the human condition. When he says, do nothing, like externally, don't have any fruit of your life from this place, what Paul knows and what the Bible teaches is that we're all doing all of our things from a certain place. That fruits always come from roots. And what Paul's going after here is the roots. The fruit of your life, the external things that you and I do, always come from roots. Fruits always come from roots. And he's trying to take the reader into the root issue. He's not trying to behavior modify them and say just put on a face. He's trying to fix the thing that's broken deep down that causes the disunity, that causes the hatred and the malice and the discord and stops the beautiful community from happening. We gotta go to the bottom of the issue. He's saying do nothing from this deep place that you can't cut up pictures of oranges, and hang them on an apple tree and have it stop the fruit from being produced. That after time, people will see that it's fake and the real fruit will push out the little hanging fruits that you put on there. Changing fruits doesn't change roots. And so he's saying, I really long for you guys to be a a beautiful community and here's how we're going to get there. Stop doing things from this root place of kinadoxia. So what is this empty pride? What is this vain glory? Empty glory is the place in your life that loves to make everything about you. It's the place in your soul that can't let other people view you as lesser than them. It's the place in you that can't celebrate other people's victories and accomplishments in your sector or in your field because of how their victory or celebration makes you feel about you. It's the part of you deep down that needs to let everybody know how hard your life is or has been. It's the place in your life where disdain comes for people. Kenodoxia roots is the place that causes you to stop or can't stop comparing yourself to people and your life to people. I'm not as beautiful as them. I'm not, I'm not as rich as them. I'm not as satisfied as them. I'll never amount to them. I, I don't like being around them because of how it makes me feel about me. Kenodoxia is why you and I are never quite satisfied with what we have. Empty glory. Empty pride. Vain glory. You and I want Glory. <laughs> We want to be recognized. We want to be seen. We want the movie to be about us, and we want to be the main character. And if you back the story up, like the story, not Paul's story or your story, but like the whole story, in Eden, pre-sin, pre-the fall, Genesis 1 and 2, we had glory. We were created in glory to dwell with the creator God in perfect unity and harmony. We had glory, and then sin came in and shattered the shalom of that picture, the beautiful picture of God and man dwelling in glory together. Sin ruined it, and since the beginning, since day one, well, not quite day one, since a few days after day one, mankind has been on a quest to get our glory back. And what's interesting is that the more we know we lack glory, like we're not being seen, we're not being recognized, we don't have the life that we want, I need people to think a certain way about me. The more glory I know I lack, the more we try to manufacture it for ourselves. And then the more we try to manufacture it, here's what happens, the angrier we get when people don't treat us as glorious as we wanna be treated. So bitterness is a great indicator disdain for people is a great indicator that we are doing something from a place of vainglory, of kenodoxia. The smaller we feel, the bigger we act. And here's the irony. The more important you act, the less important you become. And this is, this, is, this is how it turns in on itself, because the less important you become, the smaller you feel, the more important you have to act. If you are aware that you walk into a room and you want some glory from that room, and then you don't get it, you get bitter, or you get really busy, keep trying to get it. And then, and then you actually don't get it, because you're the annoying one trying to get it. And then you realize you don't have it, and I need more of it. And so the cycle of it is relentless. And on and on and and it goes until we just wither away. And the bottom of our hearts, this is what Paul's saying, the deepest from place, do nothing from selfish ambition or canadoxia, the deepest place in us is canadoxia. This is the the essence of every sin you and I commit. Every single thing that's a problem in your life is driven from canadoxia, your quest for glory. Because what happens is the more selfish we are, the more proud we become, the more self-absorbed we are, the more we just want things to go our way and to be our way, this is the essence of sin. And do you know what happens when we live out of that place from the essence of sin, from the essence of kenodoxia? When we do everything from that place, do you know what happens when you try to squeeze glory out of a room? This is painful. You become really boring. Which cuts at the very thing that I don't think I can. I can Afford to lose. I can't be boring. I can't not have people think a certain way about me I can't put that down, but the more you don't put it down the more boring you become the more forgettable you become the more No one wants to be around you you become Go ahead try it you may already be trying it Make every conversation about you and what's going on with you Only talk about your issues and don't ask people how they're doing and don't listen to them when they're talking Always talk about yourself and the issues going on in your life and pretty soon you'll look around and you'll realize no one is left. Because, well, part of it is because you're boring. Part of it is because we're too busy making it about ourselves and no one has time for you to just keep making it about you. The more self-centered we are, the more we want things to revolve around us, the more ignorable, forgettable, and boring we become. And so it ends up cutting out its own legs and 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 then the exhaustion increases the bitterness rises the kenodoxia destroys a life you and i doing things from a certain place destroys our life and then a bunch of destroyed lives who are all on a glory quest to fill that place full of vainglory and empty pride destroys a community You and I can't look to the interest of others, you and I can't treat other people like royalty like Paul is saying here, if the place that we're acting from, if the thing that's driving what we do is demanding that other people treat us like royalty. You don't have the ability to treat other people like royalty if all you're concerned with is them treating you like royalty. The true obstacle to unity, the true obstacle to a beautiful community, the true wall between how our community functions and the beautiful picture that Paul painted, the thing that is resisting that, the thing that is stopping that from happening is not our differences. It's our self-centeredness. The number one reason why you don't have beauty or joy or community in your life is your pride and your self-centeredness. You're doing things from a place of kenodoxia. And I know, trust me, I, I get this. I'm, I'll share about me in a minute, okay? But here's what I know, that looking at this passage in the beautiful community, and then you go, oh, Ellie's gonna open up about the problem. He said that in his beautiful three-point outline that he thought so long and hard about. That when I said, hey, there's a problem, there's a problem that's stopping us from getting to unity in our marriage. There's a problem from stopping us from getting to beauty in our community. There's a problem from stopping us from deferring to one another and seeking others' interests above our own. And the problem is other people. I can't wait for him to talk about that. So I can listen with my elbows and say, hey, you need to listen to this. I can't wait to send this to my mom. I can't wait to send this to, my, to, m- to the people that make my life really hard. That's not what Paul's saying. The number one reason why there is no beautiful community at Midtown, hear this, is you. And me. And that's hard to hear. But that mantra of the problem is other people is what we love to hear. We love to think about that socially, politically, maritally, spiritually, biblically. We love to believe there are problems in my life. There's a resistance to beauty in my life and community in my life. And it's all them. And if they would just change, and man, I can't wait for them to hear this so that they can start to think about how much they need to change in order to defer to other people like me. if we have a they are the problem mantra mentality and we don't get in touch with that we do things from a kenodoxia place, we will never produce a community like the one that Paul's talking about. It's impossible. This is what Paul is leading them to. This is what Paul is leading us to. This this is the whole thing, winning by losing. What is Paul leading us to lose? He's calling us to lose our own self-interest. Lose your self-interest for the sake of the community. Lose self-interest for the sake of beauty and unity. And this is true for every person. Can you imagine a community that was so not self-absorbed with its own glory, getting what it needed from a community, but every person in here thinking about, man, if I could just find other people and put them in my scope and defer to them and regard them as my aim and treat them like royalty, can you imagine if every person in here thought that way? You know how beautiful of a people that would be? That's what Paul's leading him to. Talking about a life of a community that is so not consumed with itself, it's liberated, freed to focus on other people. But Paul knows the problem goes way down to the roots. And a kenodoxia root does not die easily. <laughs> because here's what Paul knows. Paul knows, the Bible knows that if you leave here with an ounce of motivation to not wanna make your life so much about you and wanna make it about other people, and how can I serve and how can I defer and treat other people like royalty, Paul knows that the thing that you will find when you try to go do that is that the roots go deeper than you ever want to admit. Paul knows, the Bible knows, we're so broke We can't even pursue the beautiful community wanting to do these things without doing that very thing from the same place, from a vainglory place, from a kinodoxia place, from a this needs to be about me. Because we won't be doing it for them, we will still be doing it for us. We can't even pursue this beauty without turning it inward. We're so hungry for glory. Get the irony of this. We're so hungry for glory. We're capable of going on the pursuit of other people's glory and treating other people like royalty that we will do that and want a little glory for it. You know how I know that? I did it last night. Wife and I got into a little discussion, if you will. And um, we're talking, and you know we have our patterns of how we do that. And um, I'm making dinner. Okay, um, little kenodoxia there for you. And I'm I'm making dinner, and we're talking, and and some things are coming up, and and you know we've had this talk before. And look, this is the curse. You don't want to do what I do. I promise, because I've been having to look at this passage all week, and I'm sitting there going, okay, treat her like royalty, her interest above the interest of mine. And guess what? I started to do it, and I'm going, okay. Tell me about that. I want to know what your interests are in that, and how I can meet those interests. And I really want to. Tr- I'm, I'm like in my mind going. I'm preaching about this tomorrow. I better practice it once. Like I got. I'm gonna. Pra- I'm going I'm gonna defer to you. I'm gonna. I'm gonna regard you as my aim, and your needs are more important than my needs. And I'm gonna do this. And I did it. And after the conversation, she comes up to me and she's like, you know, you were really sweet earlier. Like you. You were humble, and you were like thinking about what I needed, and thank you, like that, that, was, that was beautiful, that, that, like, that was amazing, and I was like, yeah, it was. <laughs> and how about now we reverse that? <laughs> like, go ahead, it's your turn to do what I just did. I can't even let it be about her without also needing that to be about me, because the root goes way deeper then you even have a clue. So we've seen the picture, the beautiful community, we've explored the problem. What's the panacea? What's the remedy? How in the world could we ever be liberated to enter this beautiful humanity? How could we ever loosen our grip and lose our self-interest to such a degree that we would actually like walk in this and grow in this and regard others as our aim and treat other people like royalty. Well, I can only stop thinking about me truly if someone else is thinking about me. I can only look to your interests if someone else has already taken care of my interests. I can only look to fill your needs if someone has already taken care of my needs. That's what he says in the passage. You catch that at the, very, at the end of that last passage, or the end of the last sentence in the passage. He says, look not only to their own interests, but also to the interests of others. It's not that your needs and your interests go out the door and you have to self-deprecate and fall on the sword. It's that, hey, no, 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 no. There's actually a way to not ignore your own needs and not ignore what, what your interests are. There's a way to actually have those met to be so liberated, to be so filled up that now you're free. I don't need you to think about my interests because I've already had my interests met. Listen to what Paul says in verse one. You can throw this back up, Court. It says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, and any affection and sympathy, dot, 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 do these things. Don't get lost in the ifs there, if there is any, if there is any. It's better understood as since. Since you have encouragement in Christ, since you have comfort from his love, since you have participation with his spirit, since you have his affection and sympathy, since you have all those things, do these things I'm calling you to because your needs have already been met. You can give your kenodoxia up because you already have the thing you're after. Don't do things from the place of kenodoxia anymore. Do nothing from that place. And the only way you can stop doing things from that place is if you know what you're hungry for from that place has already been satisfied. You can only go after the interests of others. You can only scope out them being more important than you if you know that what you're really hungry for in your kenodoxia roots has already been met and already been filled up and already been satisfied. Let me read this list to you again. Encouragement, comfort, participation, that's like non-isolation, non-loneliness, affection, and sympathy. If you had access to all of those things on an infinite scale, what else do you need to go get? What else do you have to scrape for and make about you to claw and gather and make and force and drench out all of those things in every interaction when you've already got the thing that you're hungry for. Because the glory quest that you and I are actually on is a quest to secure those things. I need endless encouragement because I am endlessly afraid and insecure. I need an infinite amount of comfort because of my wounds, because of my shame, because of my sin. I can believe I'm so isolated and no one could possibly understand or get me that participation with the Spirit means I don't actually ever enter a situation alone. I'm never a lone ranger because I've got the Spirit in me. The amount of sympathy and affection I need, like someone to look at me and go, hey, I understand your wounds. I want to put salve on them. I'm sorry that that happened to you. I'm here with you. You won't carry this alone. That's affection and sympathy. And Paul just said, if you belong to Jesus, all of that is yours. If I'm starving and my neighbor needs food, I cannot go give him my food unless somehow, miraculously, I get full. Unless I'm no longer hungry. And only when I'm no longer hungry can I go give my food away. Paul here says you can quit looking out for your own interest because Jesus has already secured the things that you are most interested in. You don't have to fight for your needs to be met because Jesus has already met your deepest needs. Not the ones your kinodoxia makes you think you have to go get. The deepest needs, the thing that drives your kinodoxia, like the thing that makes you make everything about you, the thing that that is on a glory hunger quest, Jesus has satisfied that place. Now, you may not always feel like it, but the reality about you, the truest thing about you is that you have encouragement, comfort, love, participation, affection, and sympathy all from Jesus. And so if Christ has already given them to you, guess what you can put down? If Christ has already secured that for you, given you all of those things, guess what you're free to do? Guess what I'm free to do? Treat you like royalty even if you never treat me like royalty. I don't need you to treat me like royalty because someone way greater than you already has. So I don't need you to do it. I don't have to demand that you do it. I don't have to force you to do it. I don't have to be bitter when you don't do it. I'm free now because I'm full. So I can actually treat you like royalty and not require that you reciprocate. Can you imagine Midtown doing that? that that's, what, that's the picture Paul, Paul's painting. Because in the person of Jesus, you have someone who lived what Paul is talking about here. You have someone that decided on an infinite level to look not to his own interest, but to your interests. Do you understand the depth of this? Jesus considered you more important than himself. The Son of God thought you more significant than he. Jesus treated you like royalty. And so now, because he has given himself for me, my glory quest is over. I don't don't need to go make this happen for me. He's satisfied, quenched, satiated, drowned out my thirst and my hunger. He's given me his glory, which means I'm free to live for yours. May it be so. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, we're hungry, we're starving. We want glory. Um, And it's profound to pause and consider for a moment that you, you have looked to our interests before looking to your own. Do not let us leave that place too quickly. You considered us more significant than you. And you treated us like royalty. And may that reality um, fill us, that we leave this place full, ready to be poured out. Because we know that the, the, the river of living water never runs dry, and any encouragement, any comfort, any participation, any sympathy, any affection is already ours. We love you, Jesus. We know by your work and your word that you love us. It's in your name we pray these things, amen.